0: to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way, and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. Well, hello there, my wise friends, and welcome to another episode of Collective Wisdom, where we delve into the journeys of remarkable individuals who are making an impact through their creativity and passion. And today's no different. I'm joined by a really gifted and talented artist and graphic designer, Lauren Philiban, who, as you'll hear, has written and illustrated a beautiful new children's book due out next year. It's a book that explores the role that kindness and friendship play in solving some of the biggest challenges we face today, such as immigration and protection of the environment. And judging from the feedback she's received so far from her very critical focus group, it's going to be a firm favourite amongst the five to seven-year-olds it's written for. Lauren's here to share more about her path to success and some of the intricacies of the publishing industry. In short, the art of bringing a story to life. But before we get started, I have a question for you, dear listeners. Have you ever had a dream or a project that felt close to your heart? Something you believed in so deeply that you were willing to invest your time, energy and passion into making it a reality. Just like Lauren's done with her book, This Is Our Island. If so, what was that dream and how did you make it a reality? Or perhaps there's something that's still waiting for you to get underway. And if that's the case, I'm hoping this wonderful conversation might just ignite your own creative spark. Joining me today, we have the exceptionally talented graphic designer and fine artist, Lauren Philiban with us. Lauren is a young, dynamic graphic designer who has recently stepped into the limelight with her beautiful children's book, This Is Our Island, a project that not only crowned her academic journey with a distinction, but also landed her an exciting publishing contract. So she's here today to share some of the story of the past- from an idea in her head to a fully fledged book going out into the world. So Lauren, a warm, warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I just wanted to start by asking you, you know, how did you get into this graphic design world in the first place? Because I think it's quite an interesting story.
1: Absolutely. Well, first of all, Thank you very much for having me, Kat. And um, that was a lovely introduction. Basically, I got into this initially. I, I never kind of intended to do graphic design as such. I have always done traditional art. That's where I kind of started off with doing was doing fine art, and I thought that that's that's what I wanted to go and do. But I got into my to my last year of school, and unfortunately, I was I was quite unwell. So I spent the year kind of in and out of hospital, trying to study for my A-levels, get my grade. And I sat my exams. The school were really, really lovely. And they were basically like, just do your best. Do your best. That's all you can do. And I thought, yeah, that that is all I can do. Even my best go, somehow still got into Bristol University, which was fantastic. But I was meant to go and do uh, English literature and drama. And I thought, I'll take a year out, I'll defer because I just needed time off for my own mental health and well-being. Took a year out and during that year out, I just had that that time to kind of sit and think and my parents were doing up their house at the time and my mum kept saying to me, oh Lauren, do you think you could just mock this up for me or or do this for me. And so that's how I kind of got back in like doing digital art. Right. I loved it. I really really loved it. So I started looking around for courses uh digital design and things like that and I found the course I did They there was something like 4 weeks into the course so I rang them up and they said we don't think that we'll actually you know be able to take you on but send across your portfolio and things. I mean at that point I didn't even really have a portfolio. I just had a collection of work that I'd done. So I managed to put it all together, uh, send it across. And I I got a call about 15 minutes later. (laughs) Wow. And he said, can you come in tomorrow? So I did. And I, I did my first day at uni. So it was like a trial day. Got home, sat at home and I cried. I really, really cried because I thought I can't do this. But but what else am I gonna do? I just have to take take the plunge and, and do it. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. So the next day I went and I enrolled and I did all this. <laughs> and I absolutely loved every every second of it, every module, you know, even the harder stuff. I I still really, really loved it. So if I hadn't have got sick, if I hadn't have had that time, because graphic design is, is a little bit different in that I didn't didn't do that at school. It's not really no, no. The set syllabus. So I don't really know how much longer it would have taken me or whether I would have ever actually you know, gone into that kind of discipline. But yes, it's funny how things come for like full circle. It's a
0: complete silver lining story. I mean, I am so sorry that it was, you know, such a traumatic illness. And it must have been so frightening as well, because there's so much pressure on kids in their A-level year as it is. And then if there's this sense that you're, oh my goodness, you're ill, you're missing out, you know, and all your friends are doing other things. And
1: yeah, must be horrific yeah in a way it almost took the pressure off me because i thought to myself there's nothing more i can do i thing, only saying um my parents have always been re- really great that way especially my mum. she's you know she's always said just do your best do your best and that's all anyone can ever ask of you yeah so that's what i did and then yeah still took that time out and thought actually this isn't quite this isn't quite what i want to do
0: and there's a couple of things i you know that a taking a pause sometimes i think i think we've all had that experience from the pandemic a little bit wow. can really give you the space to for little things to drop in, you know, oh, I'm doing this stuff and this is really fun. Is there any way I can build this into my life completely? And then the other thing is really around, you know, that moment where you,
1: what do you think was behind those tears? It's it's like a sort of, yeah, it's a, a deeply emotional moment. Yeah. I think it was, I kind of just came home and I saw, gosh, everybody else has already done like a foundation course in this. I'm slightly older starting this course. So I know I'm going to be older when I graduate and things. It was just all a bit feeling a bit behind, I think. Yeah. And then I just had a word with myself, and I thought, "No, you you can do this. You've got all the, the skills that you need. They're there. You just you just have to believe." So I did. Then I had a sorted myself out and went and enrolled the next day. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I think
0: it's a it's a way of reflecting that that is usually a positive sign, even though it feels really uncomfortable and you're in flood of tears. And it's oh it's actually a sign that you're about to do something scary but exciting and.
1: Yeah. I think yeah, I think that's what it was it was that kind of fear but also it was going to turn out okay and it felt scary in the moment but it you know it it was going to be all right. And they obviously
0: saw something, you know, for the guy to ring you fifteen minutes later and go, "Oh, actually, yeah, i <laughs> think just grab all that. Yes, you can come." Yeah,
1: yeah. They spoke to me after the kind of three years, and we were talking about that that moment, and they were like, "It was a no brainer for us, you know." They were like, "You had you had all the right." all the right skills, you had the technical ability. They were like, it was just a case of whether or not you were going to take that. Really nice to hear that they were always like, yeah, it was, you know, we we never had any concerns. It was just your concerns. (laughs) Well, also that I think
0: it's also important to reflect that even when someone is naturally talented, I think as a society, we can perceive that as being, oh, it doesn't take any effort. But what I see in what you've produced is an awful lot of hard work. (laughs)
1: yeah definitely I think the book especially it was a labor of love but it was it was still it was tricky yeah yeah
0: so yeah let's dig into it so it's called this is our island yes and if you want to just tell me a little bit about you know the characters in it and how they came about I'd love to hear because I mean the only regret I have is that it's not quite ready the publishing date is 2024 so it's not available to buy for kids for Christmas this year because that would be my instinct. beautifully produced book. So just, yeah, tell us a little bit about the characters.
1: So This Is Our Island. It's a 40-page illustrated children's book, all about friendship. Like The main themes within it are about love, friendship, just being kind to one another, knowing that kindness goes a long, long way and the difference it can make. It's also about immigration and the environment in a really, really subtle way. So some of the feedback that I had from the publishers when I was approaching them was things like, they were saying to me, we don't actually usually broach this subject with you know, five to seven year olds, but the way in which it's been done is in such a way that it makes it approachable and it makes it so that children can actually divulge the information and, and t- really take it in. So that was really positive to hear. And the main characters are we have Peter the Puffin and we have Harriet the Hare. So there's basically two islands. You've got Puffin Island and you've got Hare Island and these kind of clash. They In the end, they learn how to get along and they end up having to uh, cohabitate and live, live on the same island. So that's really where the title came from was that initially there's a bit where there's a standoff moment within the book and Puffin Island really don't want to help pear island but peter and harriet show these two islands the right kind of way and in the end there's like a uh, fact i I can show you in the end there's this page here which is like the last page um it says one day late in summer peter and harriet turned to each other and happily sighing out loud agreed this is our island now so it's It's a bit like in the beginning. It's like this is our island, and then in the end, it's everybody's island, and and this is our island.
0: Beautiful. Oh gosh. I mean, the fact you have dealt with those really prescient sort of. I mean, they're complex things to to try and. But just if you can, and it's aimed at what five six year olds?
1: Yes, like five to seven year olds. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That if you can begin those conversations about what it is to be a bridge and to connect with people and it's often the individuals, if we can get individuals sort of uniting, that's when it all starts to fall into place. And I know that you've had some experience of, you know, you you were explaining that you've been into some schools with the original copies that you got produced to get some feedback.
1: Yeah. So I thought, obviously I did, started this project for university. So as part of my research, um, for making sure the book was aimed and it was received by my target audience well was to go into school. There was no way around it. So I contacted some of my local primary schools. Um and one very kindly got back to me and said, Yeah, of course, come in. You can do like a we'll have a small focus group for you. So it'd be about four to five children. You can read the story to them and they'll give you some feedback. And I thought this is amazing, it's great. So I turned up at the school with my book after it had been printed and <laughs> <laughs> the teacher who was showing me around just said, I hope you don't mind, but w- word has kind of spread, and, <laughs> and there's a few more classes that would would like to hear the book. So I thought, okay, that's that's all right. So I ended up doing uh, yeah, up going around like every class with like 30, 30 students in it, reading the book to them, and they were lovely. And all the teachers had already put, you know, put up questions on the whiteboard to say, to ask. And they were things like, how did you get into being an author and an illustrator and things like that? And, you know, I was sat there and I was thinking, gosh, like, it doesn't feel real because having somebody even talk about me in that way of saying, like, oh, you know, what does the author think or whatever? And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, like, I am. But at the same time, it, it didn't feel like it. Yeah. So it was a bit surreal.
0: But, and yet that's how they saw you. That's like, there's the real live author of this book, the person who actually wrote it. And I think it's, You know, I've worked a little bit with children and I know they love that visceral, this is the person who actually made this. It always inspires in them a sense of possibility, I think. You know, young children don't have those barriers of, oh, I couldn't possibly do this.
1: No, exactly. I I think... uh I think that was what was so great about it is that I knew they were going to be as honest as I was going to get throughout this whole process. They would tell me exactly what they thought about, you know, the book, warts and all. Um, They really they giggled in the places where, you know, I I hoped that they would laugh. They were just really positive about the book. And I think that gave me the confidence to then, set, you know, send it off to publishers because I thought, oh, actually, if this appreciative, you know, of it, then hopefully... Hopefully, it would reach reach other children in the in the same way. So, yeah, brilliant experience. Absolutely, and it's such a good idea to get that feedback because
0: you know it, at that point there were only fifteen copies. It was still possible to make some amendments. Was it too long? Was you know, yeah. Did it connect with them? And instead, it was just this overwhelming sense of yes, yes, yes. It
1: was one of my favorite things, and I didn't. Oh, I didn't, I know we've chatted a little bit before, but I, I didn't tell you this, but we, so there was like a Q and A after each time I'd read the book. Um, and all <laughs> the sessions, it was really, really funny because they were asking me questions about the book, you know, how, how did I get into writing? How, how, what's my illustration process, things like that. Really, really good questions. And then somebody put their hand up and I was like, yeah, so what do, you, what, do you, what do you think? And they were like, I just want to say, I really like your hair. And I was like, oh, that's lovely. Thank you very much. And the teacher was like, right, can we, <laughs> <laughs> can we
0: stay on topic, please? Really, uh,
1: one of the other people's with that work and I was like, and they were like, oh, I really love your shoes. And the teachers at this point were like, come oh, on, settle down. And she was like, only put your hand up now if you have a question that still relates to the book. And the majority of hands went down, which I found really funny. And (laughs) they all had their hand up. So I said, yeah, yeah, what what do you think? And they went, they took a deep breath and they went, I just want to tell you, you have the loveliest shoulders like this. And I just, (laughs) at this point, they couldn't contain, they couldn't contain the laughter from the children, but also like all the adults and everything, all the teachers in the room were absolutely spitting their sides. And a funny thing, I you know, I didn't have my shoulders out or anything. And I didn't know my shoulders much. <laughs> <laughs> really what the awesome lovely thing. shoulders look like. Yeah. It was it was really, really funny.
0: And I loved it, yeah. I mean, one of the things he told me was one of the little boys put his hand up and said, Oh, I've actually got this book at home. <laughs>
1: yeah, that was the <laughs> other thing I got in the first room. Was like, Oh, I I have this book at home or you know, my sister's reading this book and I thought, well, I'm yeah. not, but that's lovely that yeah. Yeah. it's obviously a book that, that looks or, or feels or reads um, like the books that they have at home. So yeah, I was just that little bit of confidence. Amazing. And, and such a brilliant idea to go
0: and share it with with the sort of target audience right from the get go, I think that was that was really inspired. And so the the publishing, so you sent it, you decided not to self publish because I mean it does give you that gravitas, and also it's so expensive the full color version. Yeah.
1: So from my, even from my experience of doing the fifteen copies, I was really lucky actually, and I we had a connection as a, as a university to a, a to a printers. Um, so the Licorice Press actually uh, printed off the 15 copies and they were absolutely beautiful they are exactly how i imagined that they would be so i've shed another tear um when i opened i had this big big old stack of, of well, like a big heavy package and yeah it was the 15 copies of the book and they did such such a good job but it's just not feasible it's fine for you know doing doing my course and things but you know cost wise i i just knew that if i was going to have it done in the way i envisioned it it happening i would need the help and you know go to a publisher
0: so you've sent it you i mean do you just do a scattergun approach do you just- send it to everyone or do you do you have sort of to build a relationship with people how does it work with publishing
1: so it's you can do it in different ways really so you can go down the self-publishing route it has become easier nowadays with like amazon and places like that Um, so you can do that that it wasn't something that i wanted to do um or you can you can get an agent and you can then apply for the bigger publishing houses Or perhaps publishing houses where they have a lot more books and material and manuscripts coming in. So they to have it where it's literally just agents, uh, you know, applying on on behalf of you. Or there's the option of approaching publishing houses uh, without an agent. So some publishing houses accept, like it's called like unsolicited material. So you fill out this lengthy form. um, So you like apply with your manuscript. uh, You say if it's an illustrated book. You maybe have to give five examples of the illustrations a bit of an overview, an overview about you. Have you ever published before? Questions like that. So I did that yeah. and I filled out about six of these forms. So I sent it off to about six of these uh, publishing houses. I did try an email. I had a few contacts from when I did my dissertation. So for my dissertation, I did all about like representation in children and diversity levels in children's book covers. So I had already spoken to a few authors and had a few connections. So I I tried those as well and they had people that they recommended so, yeah, that, that's what I did. I knew it would be really difficult for me to get an agent just because I haven't published before. They would be taking a massive risk, right. things like that. So, but, but you can do. It's definitely it's definitely something that, that people do do. But again, it was just like, I don't think this is going to be for me. So I just bit the bullet on the head, really, and I decided the worst thing that they could do is say no. And I'd be in the same position. You know, the book was just sat there. So I would be in the same position I was before I started. So, so I did. And then, yeah, within about five weeks, of, yeah, about five, six weeks, uh, I had received about, yes, three contracts from three different publishing houses. So that was just overwhelming. Um, Unbelievable, yeah, really. yeah, I was actually, I remember, it, I'll always remember it now. I think it's one of those like cool memories I have. I was actually at my work. So I was working working a wedding and i got an an outlook notification and i was on my break so so i checked it and it was like an adobe sign document like they wanted my signature and i thought oh this looks like a contract but i thought you know who who's sending me a contract and and i was i was really really confused so I went in and had a look, and, and sure enough, there was a big old letter attached, and a, yeah, like a 15-page contract. From a publisher? Yeah, I was stood in the kitchen, and everyone was like, what's going on, what's going on? And I was like, I think I've just got a, a, like a, a book deal, like a publishing contract. And they were like, what? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> what are you doing here? But, uh, they were very much like, oh, you know, we'll get, get signed copies now and all of this. And I was like, oh, I know, so... <laughs> You were, yeah, yeah, yeah! It was amazing. So, so you get the contract, and then how involved are you beyond that? What happens? So, you? it might work differently for for different publishing houses. I went with Olympia Publishers. They will be publishing my book, and it's a contract. As uh, so there is like two different con- types of contracts are usually used. So there is hybrid, which means that the author or author and illustrator. You pay like a lump sum initially to help the cost of printing and things like that. And the traditional contract is where the publishers sort everything out for you. Very, very lucky that it is a traditional contract that I went with in the end. So I signed the contract a couple of months ago now and I signed it. I think I signed it on a Friday and on the Monday morning. Yeah, I had about, uh, you know, five or six emails in my inbox you know from from all sorts of different departments so it's like marketing and promotion and you know I've got a coordinator now uh so and I, it, you know the initial editor that I spoken to and people like that so it was it was a little bit overwhelming because you, know, you just yeah get to your
0: it seems remarkable is they haven't um because you know it's quite a long book they haven't said oh we're going to take the concept but we're going to Slash it in half, or yeah. you know, no, really no. kept it intact.
1: Yeah, so that was one of my initial questions. Was you know, in terms of the length of the book, is is forty pages, and it didn't so much for my course, you know, for university. But I'm thinking normally, uh, children's you know, uh, picture books are thirty two pages. So I'm thinking it's got it's a little bit longer, but they weren't they weren't fast. So that was that was really lovely. And yeah, they sent me, I think I had about three different forms to fill out. So it was things like writing a bit about myself as an author and illustrator, things like acknowledgements. I just, I had a bit of like imposter syndrome when I was writing that because I just think it does, doesn't feel real, you know, having, you know, saying thank you to everybody and, Yeah. It just felt a bit surreal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, there's going to be this thing out there that, you know, you'll be able to look back in a few years time and go, I'm so glad I did manage to get the thank yous in and because the permanence of it, you know? Yeah,
1: exactly. And it was, I think that's what hit home the most was that you know, in my contract when i reading reading all of it, a a part of it was saying that they provide a copy to the British Library and then I become part of the English, like, bibliography. And I was like, oh my goodness. And copies can be requested for, you know, the universities of Cambridge, Oxford, Edinburgh, Dublin, places like that. So it was like a real pinch me moment of this is happening, this is real, you know, it might seem small because even then I'm thinking, well, it's just uh, you know, it's just a children's book. Even if it's in the in the British Library, you know, it's, it's just a children's book. But actually, you know, it's quite a unique experience. So I feel very lucky that I can say it.
0: So much so. And I think those themes of friendship and kindness and, as you say, a light touch on immigration, you know, topics that are really impacting everyone's lives at the moment. Absolutely. And will always going forward. You know, I don't think we'll ever be in a situation where that's not relevant. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. And I, I also, I think the word just a children's book, some of the best messaging lessons, you know, I think about Winnie the Pooh as being how wise, how accessible. And this feels like a book that's going to have, because adults will enjoy reading it, because it has those slightly more important themes
1: I think just touching what you've said just then I think one of you asked me before we got started about um like the challenges that I've maybe faced when when doing the book and I think genuinely that was one of the hardest things was knowing that yes I was writing for children but that adults have to enjoy it too you know you know, yeah. a book where your child picks it up and you go
0: oh, God, not Oh, not that one.
1: Really. <laughs> oh, maybe not that one tonight. Or that one's a bit long, you know, that kind of thing. So I wanted, yeah, I wanted it to have those lessons in it, but also, yeah, it's- I wanted the language and in, in it to read well for adults too. So it was, yeah, it's a lot to think about. It's a lot harder than I anticipated, or maybe like people think when you just think, oh, you know, you're writing for for children's books and things. You've got, there's a lot to consider. Oh, so much so. I think it's actually what makes it seem simplistic
0: is because the books, you know, I'm thinking like The Gruffalo, they seem so effortless because they just resonate. They just land. But to actually create that is incredibly complex and you're thinking at it from all sorts of different angles. And you know, I think with children the access is always opening up their imaginations. And that's where your beautiful drawings come in because they're just taken off into this world. And the words will probably just follow in behind, whereas the adults will probably be reading the messaging and you know the dialogue much more intently.
1: So one of the things about the process that I found really, really interesting and I thought that's such that's such a like great way to approach approach the project was that my the course leader or my the tutor that I was assigned this project to, so that I was talking to throughout it was giving me feedback he said to me why don't you illustrate it as if there's no words so illustrate it so that uh, someone could pick it up so a child could pick it up like read it and you look at look at the images and follow that story through so if you took all the words away somebody could still understand the messages and the meaning So that's how I approached it in terms of illustrating. I thought, right, the images need to, every image needs to have a purpose and it needs to show part of the story. So that's how I did it. So I actually illustrated the majority of the book first. So I did like the synopsis and plotted my like storyline points, but I wrote it after I had illustrated it. Unbelievable. And I think that is
0: going to be one of the things that really makes it remarkable, you know, because again, that little insight as to what a great tip. And I think because you are someone, you know, part of your talent is, it's actually a a huge skill to be able to write the story and illustrate it. You You often see combinations and people who work together for that reason and yet you're bringing all of this which is again a, another layer of complexity i guess
1: thank you just you saying that then has really reminded me of i had when i was a lot lot younger so maybe like 10 years old or something we i had a lovely english teacher and we had a competition um to it was like our creative writing um module in school, and we had to write and illustrate like a, a book. I think I did mine about like a dragon or something in the forest, trying to find a book, and it turned out it was actually the book that you were reading and things. And she said to me, she took me like um pulled me aside after class, and she said, Lauren, are you I know that you're really, really young, but she was like, I really think that you need to write an illustrate story. She was like, I think when you're older this is what you're going to do. And at the time I was like, that's not what I want to do. You know, I was like, I think I want to be a vet or something. And um, that's not, that's not inspired for me. (laughs) No. no. Uh, I think that was, yeah, Yeah, that was probably quite telling. Very much so. I sort of spotted a talent that was just, yeah, you were
0: clearly way above your peer group in that, in that exercise. And just, and, you know, I think it's important to point out that this all sounds like a huge success story and I'm sure it will be. But in the meantime, it's actually been quite challenging for you to find work using your graphic design skills. Yeah,
1: definitely. I think that there's such a such a huge demand for jobs at the minute, and you know, there's just not enough jobs. I won't be the same. You know, there'll be a, a lot of other people feeling the same same way as as me at the minute. And I think what has been quite challenging as well is knowing. That I'm slightly older finishing university so I've got that added pressure of thinking like and I know I shouldn't do but you always you tend to compare yourself to your friends or other people and you're thinking gosh I'm not quite there or I haven't had that big job for two years yet or something like that so it has been tricky for sure. So just, I'm just trying to stay positive and keep applying because that's, that's all I can really do.
0: Yeah. And one of the things I'd love to reflect back to you is that, you know, the way I encountered you was because you made this beautiful logo for Nikki Maxi of Maxi Images and it was so, so on point. It was so beautiful. (laughs) So I think leaning into just putting that work out there in a freelance capacity and just. It feels very hand to mouth, I'm sure, for you. But, you know, then I then approached you and asked you to do a logo for me. And that's how I heard about the story about the publishing contract. And that's how we're here today. So I think it's so important to reflect on what's actually hard to do in the moment, which is to stay positive, but to keep leaning into those talents and just finding ways of putting stuff out there, even though it's not in the capacity of a a fully, fully fledged job at the moment. It will happen. It, you know, I'm, I'm just a bit.
1: I think I just need to be more patient, <laughs> just have a little bit more patience. I think what's become quite clear to me throughout the whole process of, you know, rejection and sending emails and not hearing anything back has been that what is meant to be will be. Yeah. Um, you can only control so much and the things that you that are out of your control, there's, there's not much you can do about it. So to try and focus on the things that you can. Yeah. I think uh, trying to think about things in that way is helpful. And going back,
0: as I say, it's hard in those moments of rejection or those moments of scarcity because you're sort of, well, I I don't have a salary coming in. To go back to those mantras of, you know, givers do get lucky, putting stuff out there, staying positive, showing up with that can-do attitude. And I think for so many creatives, you know, you talk about Elizabeth Gilbert's story of being that waitress and just keep on doing it, keep on doing it, don't give up on the dream. And at some point you'll look back and go, oh, now I can connect the dots retrospectively. But at the time,
1: it's so hard to stay in that positive mindset definitely so I kind of finished my course in June and I'd already had so I thought I was going to go into like interior design so I'd already started doing like a job in the October which I was hoping would be you know they'd said you after you graduate you can then do it full time and things like that started the job and the job was just not as it was described and I didn't like it I didn't enjoy the people I was working with and things like that so it was really like, oh gosh, like I thought I had things figured out. Like I thought I knew what I was going to be doing the day I finished my course. And now this isn't the plan anymore. But then I have to remind myself that that is how I felt when I was back when I was like 18, 19, was it was like, gosh, I was meant to go and do, you know, English literature and drama. And now, now I don't know. So I think it's scary being back in that mindset because I think to myself, gosh, it's quite similar and not great that I, you know, I'm still not, not sure. But then I was like, no, you know, it's very different. And now I've, you know, found editorial illustration and things like that. So,
0: yeah. And when would you say you're most in the flow? Is it when you're sitting, coming up with new characters and bringing them to life? Is that what was not happening with the interior design stuff?
1: It was more about the environment that I was in, I think. The expectations were just a lot. There was so much work to do. And the people that I was working with were just not the the warmest of people. I have to say, so I just thought, oh, this isn't this isn't quite what I want to do. And it
0: takes quite a lot of courage to act on that, you know. You've got a job security, and it's like, well, I could keep doing this, but there's something pulling me towards. And I think because you are so so talented when it comes to these, you know, because it's not just I should say it's not just the graphic design. I mean, you translate into graphics, but you start from a concept of of watercolors or drawings, you know, pen and ink drawings.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I'm quite lucky in that I came from quite a traditional art background. So I started by doing fine art. So doing work with colours. I've always, always loved drawing animals um, wherever I can, just, you know, characters and the environment and things like that. So when I was about 16, 17 I started doing pet portraits. I think someone actually shared it on Facebook and there was a lot of people going around, you know, where can I get this done? Who is this? And that's really where it started from. Then now they're, you know, went international and uh, global. So, you know, people from all around the world were asking for work. So that was pretty, it was awesome. It was yes. nice. And that really came, you know, came in clutch when I was not very well. And it was something that, it was almost like therapy for me because I was, I was able, I was doing my work and I was trying to study. But when I wasn't studying, there was this like business, a small business that I was doing, able to paint and things like that.
0: So, yeah. I imagine it brings you comfort to know that at the very least you have that to fall back on, that you, that you have this innate skill of, again, you know, Bringing people's pets to life and, and creating, I mean, there's a huge demand for that and it's not easy. It's not something any, anyone can just turn their hand to.
1: I think I just, yeah, I, I loved it. I loved the whole, everything about it. I think, you know, capturing the, you know, the pet character and things like that I th- and hearing people's stories uh, about their animals and things I loved it I love all that narrative yeah so, yeah I really- and it feels like that is a theme that you should maybe keep
0: keep up in the background even if it's just like a hobby and I love what you're saying about you know for me creativity I think we're learning more and more around it's it's healing I've been wa- watching Vicky McClure with her choir for dementia and how music is accessing for so many people who've lost the power of speech they can still sing you know it's accessing parts of their memory that maybe aren't reachable otherwise and i think more and more we're learning that these simple things sit down and just get into a state of flow do you have a ritual do you have a sort of process where you draw every day or how does it work for you
1: I think just by default, I end up doing something creative most days. So whether it's, you know, reading and learning a bit more or I'm I'm always, I'm such an advocate for like Pinterest uh, and there's a site called like Behance for creatives where it's basically like a, um, a soup duck like Pinterest for artists and just getting ideas and being inspired I think is is fantastic Um, yes where I can I'm normally working on a on a project or sketching something yeah I'm really wanting to to get into doing like oh yes no tell me about that project tell me about the project I've called it Read and redesign. Whether that name will stick or not, I'm not too sure. But it's basically where I will read a book. It's probably going to be mostly fiction because they are just the books that I love to read, or potentially children's books that I think, oh, you know, these look amazing. I Would recommend them. So it's going to be about like reading books and recommending them, and and things things that I like about them, and then having a look at the covers, maybe redesigning the covers, talking through that process of maybe why I gone in the direction that I've gone in. So yeah, I I think it would be I think it would be good fun. I love so much so.
0: So much so. And I think as as a way of like introducing excitement about a book, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, but also that's how we do access. You know, it's it's the things we're drawn to. I think it's such a an important part of graphic design is is to think, what is it that makes us pick it up in the first place and then turn it over and read the blurb and And who are your favourite authors? Who are your sort of influences?
1: I have quite a few. I read a book recently called *The Stranding* by Kate Sawyer. I absolutely loved it. I thought her her way of writing was quite unique in in a way that I've not I've not read before. And the ending for me was it was not really what I was expecting. It was one of those books where you kind of think I I don't really know what my expectations are. And it was just lovely. Like the way it was written or, uh, was amazing. Um, and uh, Jojo Moyes is one of my all-time favorite authors. Her book suggests brilliant. The Giver of Stars is, is really up there for me. Um, it was just, you know, the feminism, you know, the power of books. It was brilliant. I loved it.
0: Two top recommendations. I don't know. I, I know Jojo Moyes, but I haven't read all of her work. So I will definitely be digging into those. And I just think that is such a fun project to yeah, as I say, bring the whole concept of reading and how to recommend books. It's a it's a new angle on it, really. It's it's brilliant.
1: It's not obviously the re- the cut co- readers like cover redesign it is something that I have looked at before. But in terms of recommending books and things like that, I you know, I haven't. So it would be something new for me and it would be challenging and scary at the same time because I'm sure people will think, what is she talking about? you know.
0: No, I think the people who it's for, the people who
1: love to read, you know, it's
0: it's it's like another take on a book club. It's yeah. it's yeah, you're gonna find people who who yeah. So definitely get that off the ground. I think that's gonna be an amazing, amazing sort of place to hang out. It it has the feel already of being it could be a community.
1: Yeah, you know, this sort is, of this is the direction I'm hoping to go in. So the the shortened name for it would be R and R, which I, you know, it's normally a little rest and things like that. to be like a a safe space of that you know comfort from books you know anybody who likes art and book you know they're your people because you know yeah unbelievable
0: that is beautiful and it just I think there's a golden thread through of just how much creativity and leaning into your talents has been healing has been a source of comfort and and this real sort of being held and supported by it is huge.
1: Definitely. Now, I
0: love that you're, I mean, you know, a, This Is Our Island is all about those themes of kindness and friendship, which are all, you know, that that's just, you had me at hello. <laughs> I'm just curious if there's a story about an act of kindness throughout this process that sort of jumps out for you.
1: Absolutely. I was having a think really about acts of kindness. And I think part of my process is that sometimes, sometimes you struggle and sometimes your mental health isn't you know when you're stressed and you have a lot of projects going on. it can be quite overwhelming. really, really lucky to have an incredible set of friends, a group of friends. And I came home one day and they they knew that I had had been struggling, and there was a big bunch of flowers waiting for me. It's quite a big act of kindness. Yeah, really, it's lovely that, you know, they heard me and done something just to say, you know, hey, well, you know, we're here for you. So, yeah, was wonderful. It was really, really wonderful.
0: And it's a great example of just those little gestures that sometimes you get that. Oh, you know, you don't always act on it. It's like, oh I'll just reach out. I'll just it can just be a simple WhatsApp note. No. But having that moment where someone's thinking about you is so so powerful so yeah thank you for sharing that because it's a great reminder I was talking with a friend last night and she's adopting a practice of at the end of every workday, who can I thank who can I and she's quite high up in the organization so so, can you imagine what it feels like to get a, a special sort of shout out or a thank you and it doesn't have to be a publicly done thing but it's and she said it's having a massive impact on her own mental health it just closes the day with my favorite task is where can I find some some somebody to appreciate so, so important?
1: I really love that. I, I think just touching like, on what you've just said about it impacting her, I think that's the, you said about the ripple effect of acts of kindness and it's so, so true um, and it's so poignant that, you know, as soon as you do that, I feel like you're you're putting that good energy out into the world and it's only going to be a good thing in the long run, yeah.
0: Yeah, if you can keep account of them, you know it's just like they accumulate and they they sit right here and and then you know you would have reached out to your friend and gone, oh my goodness, those flowers were amazing. Thank you, thank you. And that whole and it feels like that is the sort of central theme to this is our island. You know that that that's the key to making this work. Absolutely, and
1: it's just it's all things. Yeah. Yes, yeah
0: yeah mm-hmm. fabulous fabulous now we haven't talked about music but I just have this feeling that because you're such a big creative that music plays an important part in your life is that true it
1: does in fact I found this question probably the hardest because I thought to myself oh yeah you know I I know I can think of one piece of music that I'm all funny. <laughs> and I sat there and I went through you know all my songs and everything and I was just thinking oh my gosh this one means this to me and this one is great because it reminds me of this time of my life. And yeah, I found it a lot harder than I thought I was going to. Uh, but yeah. I managed to whistle it down, pick a song. And what did you land on? So I have chosen, uh, it's called Carrying You by Novo Amor. Um, oh, he's not on the list. I love it. Yeah. I love Anchor. <laughs> yeah no uh, he's a great artist and there was a bit of a backstory to the significance of the song so I was when we, we just kind of come out of lockdown and I was watching uh, a series on the tv and the protagonist I mean she has to have a really honest conversation with her parents and she's l- like telling them uh, a secret that she's She's kept to herself for for a really long time. And I don't know about It just gripped me. The whole scene gripped me. Um, And at the time, I was like struggling in terms of I knew I was going to have to have a really honest conversation with my parents. And it really stuck with me. And so every time I hear the song, I'm thinking back to that moment of knowing that things were about to change but that it was going to be okay. So it
0: sounds like it's a song that's about, you know,
1: I'm going to step out
0: in my authenticity and be myself and a moment of real vulnerability.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's what gets me about the song is that it's, it's peaceful and it's sad, but it's inspiring all at the same time. It's And I think it's very hard to come across music that that makes you feel that way or that does all of those things. So yeah, it's it's really stuck with me.
0: Wow, what a powerful story. And yeah, I'm going to listen to the song with a whole new sense of, I mean, for me, there are so many pieces of music. Music for me is about how we hear beauty in the world. Those moments where you just go, it, it hits you on an emotional level. That is beauty. It's sort of right in your heart. And I think it's that capacity to get beyond your sort of thinking cognitive state into and yeah that relevance to being able to say I can pinpoint the exact memory of a really pivotal moment in my life yeah
1: it's it's surprised it surprised me like it's surprising how a song can make you feel and how subjective music is too so that for me means that but for somebody else you know it it might not be for them or might not mean quite the same so I I always find that really interesting about art in general as well that it is so subjective
0: yeah but also there's a sort of commonality that we can find back to your themes around this is our island it's often accessing oh we both like the same songs. yes you know we both we both love to stand up and dance yes
1: yeah Yeah. exactly something hugely powerful I think yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Everyone. Well, I will listen to that. And I'm so thrilled to be able to put him on the list because, yeah, that's music that really does stir my soul too. So thank you for that welcome addition. Um, and I'd just like to reflect to you. I mean, there's so much wisdom coming out of everything you're saying, the way you're showing up. Obviously, collective wisdom is all about that sort of nugget of wisdom. Is there anything that you would do that you would maybe differently
1: you know having been through this process i think i would like to think that i maybe wouldn't have done anything differently because i think that the, how the process has worked out it has been quite authentic but i do think that if i was to do anything differently it would maybe just to have a little bit more uh, belief in myself i had stumbled across a bit of advice um a few days ago and it was that don't, it was the saying of like, don't be the one to say no to yourself. Let someone else say no to you. And I, initially I was like, what? Well, what does that mean? Like, What What do you mean? And yeah, so it was, it's that thing of, you know, if you're thinking about applying for a job and you think, well, you know, I'm, I might not have the experience for it. Let somebody else say no to you. Don't, don't say no to yourself. And I yeah. that's going to be something that. I really take, take on board and and take, th- you know, take with me throughout this process of, so yeah, just have a little bit more belief. <laughs> yeah, that's such
0: valuable advice. And I think I'd love to add that sort of extra caveat that sometimes those no's, those external no's, it's very difficult not to take them personally, but it could just mean no, not yet. It could just mean no, which steers you in a tiny different direction and actually becomes a bit of a silver lining. And it could just mean that it's that person is just not, you know, in the place to be able to say yes. So so that idea that a no, it feels so hard in the moment of rejection to say,
1: oh, it's not
0: personal, but it's often the truth.
1: Yeah absolutely right I think it can be quite difficult and yeah you do sometimes feel that it's that it is maybe a little bit more personal but it's, it's not at the end of the day it, it's not but I love also
0: that sentiment of don't be the first barrier don't talk yourself off the ledge in the first place because once you put yourself out there that's when you're more likely than ever to to get the the doors opening and and those yeses that you need
1: well I think I wouldn't be here talking to you today about the book if if I had said no to myself because I thought You know, let the publishers say no. There's, this, you've got nothing to lose. There was nothing. The book was just sitting there. So I thought to myself, yeah, I'm not going to say no, and I didn't. And and this is where it's got me. So I'm going to try and say yes more. And what I hear from
0: that is, I can already hear your next book theme. I think there should be a book with some characters who, you know, get some constant no's, and then they they eventually get to their yes. I can I can see that would be a beautiful book. So yeah, definitely, yeah. Wonderful stuff. Well, Lauren, it's been an absolute joy to spend some time with you. I'm so grateful because I know it's not easy being on the receiving side. You know, I get to ask all the questions. (laughs) It's really exposing and quite a brave thing to do. So I'm so grateful, but it's been an absolute joy. And I think people who are listening to this I mean, do you have any advice for people who are sitting at home thinking, well, I'm not sure if I'm good enough to draw or, you know, write my own book? What would you say to them?
1: I think I'd say to them, uh, everybody has to start somewhere. If you think about careers, if you think about maybe, you know, athletes or anybody, anybody has had to do, have that moment where they think, am I going to do this? Is this going to work out for me? Am I going to be any good? You have to just take that plunge. You have to just just dive into the deep end and, and take that risk. You don't, you're never going to know. So yeah, my advice would be just start and be bad. You know, you're never going to be the best. Everybody has to start somewhere. And I think I need to take some of that advice as well. So yeah, that that would be my advice is just to do it. Yeah,
0: Wonderful, wonderful advice. And I think in a world where we see a lot of the polished stuff, it's important to remind ourselves everybody started somewhere yeah. and there was a messy version that, perhaps we're not seeing on the on the outside so absolutely
1: Absolutely. in the in our digital age of social media especially it can be hard to to lose those insights and to remember that that everything is not polished and that actually if you had a conversation with most people you know they would probably have have that same feeling or they've started there and had those thoughts so yeah
0: (laughs) for sure you're reminding me of the very first episode of this podcast actually and I was like oh I've got such a huge mountain to climb and now I find it is one of the things that I enjoy doing the most is having these conversations because they're so powerful and I know that they're landing with people and they are really helping people get from that feeling of stuckness to actually putting creative work out there so really really important
1: I think you're absolutely right I think this has definitely helped me um to feel less stuck so thank you Well, no, thank
0: you. The thanks is all mine. It's been a beautiful, beautiful episode. And yeah, I've just loved hearing all your stories. So thank you. Wow, I so loved that conversation. And I hope it resounded with you too. It reminded me of a question the founder of Acumen, Jacqueline Novogratz, said she uses when she interviews people. She asks them, what are you doing when you feel you're most beautiful? And for me, one of the things that makes me feel most beautiful is definitely when I'm able to hold up a mirror and reflect back to someone just what an amazing human they are. It's something we can't always see for ourselves. So if you'd like to see some of those beautiful illustrations before the book comes out, you can find out more at Lauren's website, which is Lauren Philiban Designs. That's spelt P-H-I-L-L-I-B-A-N. And she's also Lauren Philiban underscore designs on Instagram, where you can see some of those gorgeous pet portraits she was talking about. And not only that, she's also a brilliant graphic designer. So if you need a logo or branding work doing, I can highly recommend her services. Which also reminds me, I first encountered Lauren's work when she designed a logo for my lovely friend, Nikki Maxi. Nikki is a brilliant photographer who captures nature and light on the landscape so exquisitely. And she has a range of cards, prints and canvases that are here just in time for Christmas. If you picture snow scenes in the Cotswolds and misty Scottish locks, you've got the idea. And I know she'd be thrilled if you went over to see what she's up to. You might even find the perfect gift for someone special. So check out Maxi Images, M-A-X-E-Y images.com. And as ever, head over to the show notes and you'll find links to all these wonderful small businesses that are full of people who pour their heart and soul into what they do. Thanks again so much for joining me. And I hope that whatever you are doing this week, you'll keep that question of what are you doing when you feel your most beautiful in mind and maybe try and inject a little bit more of that into your day. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from, so I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com. Or well, you can find me on Instagram at Pod, where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.